Uh, my name is Brad. I'm the senior pastor here. And before too long, if we haven't met, I really hope that we get a chance to. Uh, today we're picking up on week two of a sermon series entitled Spiritual Depth for the Long Haul. And we've been looking at the character in the Bible named Elijah, who's probably one of the most famous prophets. And week one, we looked at this uh, fun uh, story of his uh, where... <laughs> His mission is to call the whole entire nation of Israel back to worshiping the Lord, uh, which is the God of Israel. And they, the Israel had started to worship another God, particularly named Baal. And so Elijah goes to the king, King Ahab, and says, look, Baal, who happens to be the God of lightning and thunder, uh, he says, look, there's not going to be any rain in the entire country uh, until I pray for it and ask God to send it. As a sign to you that, you know, uh, the Lord is, a real, is the real God. That's what it, the point he's trying to make to bring people back. So he says this, and um, as you can imagine, uh, the king wasn't super stoked about that. So he runs off into the wilderness, um, and then time passes, and the part of the story we're not going to hear today, which is worth reading, it's pretty awesome, is he comes back about three, I think, three and a half years later. And there's this big showdown on top of Mount Carmel, okay? And there are 400 prophets of Baal and Elijah. And they have this competition. Let's build an, al an altar and let's invite our God, you know, ba Baal and uh, the God, the Lord. And we're going to each call out to our God. And whoever's God sends fire from heaven, that's the real God, okay? So maybe you've heard this story, maybe you haven't. So uh, the prophets of Baal, all 400, Baal the god of lightning and thunder, who should be able to send a bolt down, they go first. And so they're at it from 9 to noon in the morning. And they're going for it and they're going for it. And then Elijah comes up and goes, what's the matter? Is Baal asleep? Maybe you should yell louder. So then they start to yell louder and they actually start to cut themselves and do all sorts of frantic types of things. And of course, nothing happens. Then Elijah says, all right, I built an altar just happens to be where an ancient altar was to the Lord. I built it up again. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to take these giant containers of, and fill them with water and dump it on top of the altar. So they do that three or four times. I think it's three times. So there's so much water on the altar that it actually fills a trench, which they've dug around the altar. Then Elijah prays. Lo and behold, fire falls from heaven, totally consumes the altar and all the water in the trench. Then people are like, whoa, they get really mad at the prophets of Baal. Bad stuff happens to them. And uh, Elijah's like, this is awesome. I'm going to climb up higher on the mountain. I'm going to pray and invite God to send rain. So he prays seven times. Finally, he sees like this little cloud out in the distance. He's like, that's rain. It's coming off of the Mediterranean Sea. Woohoo! He comes down to Ahab. He says, look, it's going to start to rain. You better get inside. And so Ahab gets in his chariot, runs back to, and rides his chariot back to his palace. Elijah runs faster than the chariot to the palace and waits for Ahab to get there. This is the story. So then it's Ahab, his queen Jezebel, and Elijah. And you can imagine what Elijah's expecting. There has been this amazing, supernatural showdown like you've never imagined in your life. Fire from heaven falls to prove, Elijah hopes, that the Lord, the God of Israel, is alive and well and, and Baal is nothing. So here he has an audience with the king and the queen, 
you would think his, he's like, wow, God is coming through for me. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I just ran 14 miles ahead of a chariot. I cannot wait to see what Ahab and Jezebel are going to say. They're going to repent. They're probably going to be weeping on their knees. They're going to, oh, God, forgive us. We're coming back to you. They're going to lead the whole nation back to God. And this is what, said, what Jezebel says to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of the slain prophets of Baal. Elijah freaks out. He, as it says in the passage, runs for his life. In fact, he travels 80 miles to the town of Beersheba, and there he leaves his servant behind. I'm not sure why. Maybe he doesn't want to leave a trail. And he heads out another day's journey into the desert where his life basically hits rock bottom. And in verse 4, he says this, or it says this, He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Wow. So here's our hero. This is our person of faith. This is the person we're looking to to see what we can learn about having a spiritual depth that will last with us through our entire lives. At his lowest point, wanting his life to be over. What's going on here? You know, there's this idea that faith is supposed to spare you from these types of experiences. That if you do everything right, if you believe, you can avoid situations like Elijah is in right now. You know, Elijah isn't perfect, but I think it's fair to say that he's pretty much on point when it comes to doing your very best to follow Jesus. Or he probably wouldn't call it Jesus, follow God, follow the Lord. He's standing for kings, risking his life. He's obeying everything he knows how to obey. He is taking risks of faith. He is on top of a mountain in front of a whole nation asking God to send fire from heaven. And this is where he ends up. You know, Elijah's not perfect. But he's pretty doggone good at what he does, right? Now think about this. Jesus was perfect. That's a classic historical doctrine of the Christian faith. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did everything right and ended up on a cross shouting out so everyone could hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, as a community, I think we can dream of the right things. We can lean into the right things. We can sacrifice for the right things. We can strive to find ways to communicate and translate the gospel in a way that 21st century people who are completely turned off by everything they've ever heard or thought about Christianity can be compelled to experience Jesus. We can take on the biggies in our society, things like dismantling racism, inequality, division. 
and build and participate in practical ways to see these things change. We can strive to be a place of belonging that allows for weakness, brokenness, even sin, but's not satisfied with any of those things. We're all are welcome and safe precisely because growth is what's expected and supported through accepting and loving relationships. We can welcome everyone, no matter what background or demographic, everyone to fully participate, to be leaders, all for the glory of Jesus, and to know him better and end up tired, wondering if it's worth it, wondering if it's even real. Folks, how hard have we been running? Is anyone here feeling like checking out, disappearing into the wilderness? Or maybe just for you, besides our community, what are you facing in life? What losses have you felt? So today we're going to look at what we can do in the middle of what you might call dry or even dark times. Not to fix things, but to create space for the Spirit of God to come to us. And not only renew us, but build something deeper in us and more stable and good and sustaining. Would anybody like some of that in your life? Now, I know I'm speaking to an audience. Some of you, you've never been in this place of your life. So what we're going to talk about today can prep you really well, because what I found out is it's pretty normal to end up where Elijah is at some point. If you don't, you're the exception, not the rule. If you read the Bible, the story of Elijah here is the story. This happens all the time. People do their very best to follow after God, to follow after Jesus. They do everything they know how to do, and they end up disappointed, disillusioned, heartbroken, at the end of themselves, often wanting to die. Jesus did everything right and ended up on a cross. Now, the rest of the story is that is not the whole story. The story of Jesus is a story not of constant victory, but a story of resurrection, a story of renewal, redemption, after moments like these. Because it's moments like these if we have space for the Spirit of God, that become the moments where the deepest depths are born and fashioned and firmed inside of you. But how, when you're in those places, how can you make room for the Holy Spirit? How can you experience God? That's what we're going to look at. You know, as a, lo- a young man, this was one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I actually had the things I'm going to share with you, sort of six ideas, six things that can be helpful I taped them to my wall because I thought they were so important. And the title of it was Six Ways to Overcome Burnout. Now I don't like that title. You know, in seasons like the one we see with Elijah here, you can't overcome. I think that's one of the lessons we'll learn. That's one of the great realities. It's not in you. It's not in Elijah. But we can learn how God cares for Elijah and how God wants to care for you and me and our community. We can learn how to make space for that. And so today I'm going to spend a little less time sort of expounding on these ideas. I'm going to give more time to actually trying some practical ways to lean into this. So I'm going to give you my points quickly. 
And then most of the time, on most of them, we'll try something that you can maybe here now experience some of what I'm talking about or that can prep you for later. Okay? Is that all right? So I'm going to give you some things to do as we go as opposed to tell you a lot of things that are really interesting. All right? Does that make sense? And full disclosure, oh, my gosh. I'm, I don't know how much better at this I am than I was 15 years ago when I stuck this on my wall. But these are the things I know I need to learn. So let's look at today's story. And let's pay particular attention to how God interacts with Elijah. And I think you'll be encouraged. So the last time we saw our hero, he had curled up under a bush and he was hoping to die. Let's pick it up there. This is verse 5. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So the first practice I'd like to suggest, the first thing I think is important for creating space for the Spirit of God in your life, to work in your life during times like these and any time really, is to take care of your body. It's super practical. It doesn't seem very spiritual, but here we see how God compassionately cares for Elijah's physical needs by feeding him and giving him time to rest. Think about Elijah, man. He has been climbing mountains, running races, traveling nonstop. He needed to rest and take care of his body. Now, every re uh, website that I read about people who are in sort of the valley of the shadow or times of burnout all recommend Three things, rest, sleep, exercise, and eating well. Now, for me, when I'm overwhelmed, I want to eat fried chicken and watch Netflix until 1 in the morning. <laughs> That's what I want to do. That's what everything in me says to do. And I'm wondering <laughs> if really that's very helpful. None of those things are wrong, but I think I'm hoping for the wrong thing on the other end. So let me do this quick little questionnaire, okay? This is exercise number one. I found this online. I found a lot of commonalities on these little questionnaires to see how physically healthy your lifestyle is. So here's 10 questions. And uh, for every question you answer, yes, I want you to put a little tick on your insert or something. There's pens underneath your seats. If you, if you didn't get a bulletin, grab something to write on use the back of your hand. I don't know. Just give yourself a little mark for every yes. Question number one. Do you sleep for about eight hours per night? If it's yes, give yourself a little check. Number two, do you go to sleep easily and sleep through the night? Give yourself a check if you do. Number three, do you eat at least five fruits and vegetables each day? If the answer is yes, give yourself a check. Number four. Do you limit the amount of sugar and salt in your diet? There's no sugar or salt in fried chicken, so check. <laughs> I get that one. Uh, do you stay away from cigarettes and other tobacco products? That's number five. Number six, do you avoid alcohol and drugs? 
Number seven, do you get at least 30 minutes of exercise or activity each day? If Netflix counts as activity, yes. Okay. Uh, do you brush and floss your teeth at least twice a day? Floss. I gave myself a check, but I didn't notice the flossing. Uh, uncheck. Do you see a dentist uh, and general practitioner regularly if you feel something is wrong? And number 10, do you usually feel that you can manage all the tasks required of you in a given day? Now, loosely, if you have five to seven checks, so half of them or a little bit more, loosely, uh, apparently you are fairly healthy. Congratulations. Now, if you have seen um, some downcast looks and some scowls, now, if you have eight or more yeses, you have officially a healthy lifestyle. Congratulations. Now, how many people had a healthy lifestyle? Eight or more. Clap. Let me clap. Clap. All right. Wow. Okay. How many um, were in the fairly healthy category? Five to seven. All right. All right. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say zero to five because five is fairly healthy. So no one will know if you're fairly healthy or like me, I guess not very healthy. So who was zero to five yeses? Let me hear a round of applause. And you're all fives. I know you're all fairly healthy. I know what that means. So I don't know. That's just something to think about. I think that it, it sounds like we're all like, um, anyway, I'll move on. <laughs> Physical health, taking care of your body, creates room for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. It doesn't, you don't think it does. It doesn't, you know, it's not your natural inclination. But that's what we see. The first thing that God does with Elijah is get him healthy, get him rested, make sure he's eating. He certainly got his exercise. God didn't have to help him with that one. Okay, what else can we learn about God for making, uh, for making a place and space for the Spirit? Uh, verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. And God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Here's a second thing that you can do. Express hurt feelings and disappointment. Express hurt feelings and disappointment. It's another hard one for me. But if you think about this, why would God ask Elijah, what are you doing here? Because if anybody knows the whole story, it's God, right? God has to know exactly why Elijah is where he is. So the question isn't for God, the question's for Elijah. And what you see here is the God of the universe behaving very much like a therapist. Elijah, what are you doing here? Tell me the story. How do you get here? How do you feel about it? And then it doesn't say that he commented on anything that Elijah had to say, but he knew Elijah needed to get it out. Process your feelings. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Here's what I want you to do. On the back of your insert, there's normally the scripture 
is printed there. I left it blank, and on top it says journal notes. You know, probably the most helpful thing you can do is, like, maybe tell a, a live person, like, here's what I'm thinking, to get some actual feedback. Um, but I'm not going to make you turn to someone, especially if you're in a low place, and tell them how bad you're feeling. But another thing that would be really helpful is journaling. So what I'm going to actually do here is I'm not going to preach or give a sermon for five minutes. I'm going to set a timer on my watch, and what I want you to do is take this five minutes, because you might not have another five minutes to yourself all week. And I want you to take that space, and I want you to write down what's going on in your life and how you feel about it. Now, you might have just won the Nobel Peace Prize, and you can just write about how amazing things are going. That's fine. I'm not telling you you have to create some, some angst. Whatever's going on. But for some of you, yeah, man, it's tough right now, and you've been, like, pushing it down. The only person who's going to see this is you and God. You can write it as a prayer to God, or you can just write it as a matter of fact. So take the next five minutes. I'm just going to drink my coffee and watch the timer. And this is your time to do what Elijah did. Get your thoughts and feelings out. I didn't expect the alarm to actually go off, but so uh, how'd that feel? I hope for some of you that that felt good. You know, you can't always either afford to or get to see a therapist, and sometimes in our lives, uh, for whatever reason, we don't feel like the relationships are there available to us that we need. You can you can journal. You can go to a coffee shop. You can go to a park. You can close your door. Hopefully. Kids go to sleep, whatever it might be for you, and for five minutes, just write about your day or write about the season of your life and how you, what, just practically what's happening and then how you feel about it. Turn it into a prayer. Know that God's looking over your shoulder. Another thing we can learn that's so important is to encounter God. You know, there's nothing that really can encourage you or give you hope more than a direct encounter with the Spirit of God. So making time or space for this can be a challenge. Maybe you can't do this, but if you can ever get away from everything for a day, go somewhere in nature, bring a notebook, pray, wherever you are, whatever the next thing is for you, whatever could be helpful to you. And pray and then listen. Not for trumpets or for earthquakes, for wind, but listen for a gentle whisper. Let me read this to you. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah was one of the most prolific prophets in the history of the world, written down in Scripture, and He's always speaking these thus saith 
the Lord things. And when he hears the voice of God, it's a gentle whisper. It's not in the wind. It's not in the fire. It's not in the earthquake. The voice of God is a gentle whisper. That's what we need. That's what we need to connect to. That's what we need space for. Don't listen for trumpets. Let me ask you this. In a moment, there's things in our service where we can do this. We're going to worship through music, and that can be helpful. But in your life, where have you experienced God in a way that you remember? You still remember it. It's not like, oh, that could have been God. But like you're like, oh, wow, that was God. It made you stop. It made you, pulled you back. It may get a little fuzzy over time, but you can't shake it. There was something about it. What were you doing then? That's a real question. What were you doing when you experienced God in that way? Maybe do that thing again. Put yourself in that space again. See what happens. Another thing you do is to try something new. You know, I've got a few things planned in the sermon that might be new for you. But what's something you've never done but here can be helpful? I remember when I was in a tough season of my life many years ago, I grew up in a tradition that was very skeptical of other people of faith. If they weren't from our background, they were probably like misguided, particularly Catholics. That's, I'm not saying I feel that now. I'm just saying that's the background it was from. And so one thing I never wanted to do was see a spiritual director because that sounded so Catholic. Until I got to a season in my life where the things I always did weren't working for me anymore. I needed something else. And I started taking days away at an abbey in Paoli and meeting with a spiritual director. And it was profoundly helpful for me. So what's something maybe you even heard can be helpful, but you've never done? What's something you would be a little skeptical of? Make you feel a little bit weird, even. Maybe try that thing. Maybe you'll find God there. We need the whisper. Here's another thing. In verse 15, it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as, as prophet. So here's the next thing. When you're in one of these times, maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever it feels like to you, get to work. You're burnt out. I'm telling you, go to work. I don't think you were expecting that. Come on. You weren't expecting that, were you? Get to work. Is anybody here? Who was expecting, Brad said, when you're tired and burnt out, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, get to work. Anyone? Okay, good. All right. Uh, but... What does God do? He's, he's caring for his, his physical health. He's having these personal encounters, right? Um, and then he says, here's what I want you to go do. I've got a job for you. See, even in burnout, work isn't bad. We need it. We need purpose. The answer isn't just to check out of everything in life. When Adam and Eve... We're in the Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. What did God do? He gave them a job. Because life without purpose, without work of some sort, is not good. 
It's important to have time away. It's important to be uh, introspective, to get out of things. But too much introspection can kill us. Serving is often part of our healing process. Having something to do that is connected to what is important to you is important to rebounding from disappointments and pain. Now, I'm not saying, like, overdo it. And I'm not saying right off the bat. Sometimes you need a little bit of time. This isn't the first thing that, that God says to Elijah. This is, like, the fourth thing we've covered. But at some point, uh, being on the sidelines is counterproductive. So let, let's we're gonna do another exercise. This is one you can opt out of because I'm going to want you to talk to the person next to you. You're going to say, nah, I just want to have time to myself right now. Just, just give someone a look or say, no, thanks. That's fine. You don't have to do this, but if you're up for it, I think it could be helpful. Here's what I want you to do. I like you to think of what you care about most, something that has meaning for you. What's the thing that has purpose in your life, that stokes your passions, that has that sort of meaning? And what I'd like you to do is take a chance and turn to the person next to you and share with them that thing that has meaning for you. And here's how I'd like to do it. I'd like you to turn to the person next to you, share that thing. And person next to you, I want you to turn to them and say, wow, that's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Any, I can see why that would be important to you. And then you ask the question, what can you do this week to lean into that? And then I want you to trade places and I want the next person to be like, hey, here's what has meaning for me. This is what I'm trying to do in my life. It's really important. Um, and the person who started sharing first is going to go, that's awesome. That's super cool. It's probably God that put that in your heart. What can you do just to lean into that a little bit this week, to not forget about it? Can you do that? And you can also be like, uh, no, I just want to think to myself, all right? So do that thing right now. Turn to someone next to you. Give them the chance to say, hey, I just want to pray or I just want to be by myself or it's my first time, man. Get off my back. I'm going to give you a few minutes. I'm setting the timer again. All right, great. I hate to cut it off. I hate to cut it off. It was so fun to hear all you guys talking to each other. Um, so thanks for humoring me with that. You know, I made a decision that sometimes it's more helpful to actually do some things and practice some things than to hear a great quote from a famous philosopher or a top ten list of great movies or something like that. So next, uh, another thing you can do, this is in verse 18. This is God speaking to Elijah, and he said, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The next thing I'd urge, this is going to be intuitive, I think, for most of you, is to value friends and community. This makes sense, right? You know, one of the things I think Elijah might have got wrong here is there was another story we looked at where God told Elijah to get out of town, to go out into the wilderness, and that he would take care of him there. This time, he just freaks out and goes on his own. And not only does he go on his own, but after he travels 80 miles, he leaves the only friend he has and I think it was Beersheba, and then he goes another day into the wilderness alone, where he's just alone. And notice what he says again and again. I'm the only one left. 
That's a refrain for Elijah. We can feel like that in our lives, especially in the darkest, driest times. No one gets me. I'm all alone. No one's here for me. But what God says to Elijah is there are 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to, to Baal, but Elijah is cut off from every single one of them. God's trying to say, hey, you're not alone. And what Elijah probably needs is someone in his life besides God to say, hey, you're not alone. Or, hey, that, that dream you have, that's amazing, like we just did a minute ago. But he's got no one to pick him up, and he is in the lowest point in his life. And I don't think it's an accident that one of the jobs that God gives Elijah is to go and anoint the next prophet who's going to secede him, who's going to come after him, and who is basically going to be at his, at his hip for the rest of Elijah's life. There, a person, always a friend, a confidant. We need friends. We need community, and we know we need it. I, I know we know we need it because I've done surveys before, and everyone tells me they need this, and almost no one feels like they have it. You know, good news. You've got someone sitting next to you right now who already knows the biggest dream in your life, the thing you care about the most, and they said it was awesome. I may have manipulated that a little bit. I admit that, but they said it. They said it. We need this. You know, life changes. I'll just tell you, I don't have an exercise to do here. Maybe the exercise would be to get lunch or invite that person over or something like that. Um, but life changes. Seasons are different. Things that work in the past don't work. When you're in college, they force you to make friends. They live across the hall from you. They throw socials for you. Voila, you have friends, right? And when you're in school, you, that happens for you. Get out of any type of school environment and you're on your own. That doesn't happen. It becomes more difficult. Then maybe you get married or have a life partner. You're like, woo, I got a life partner. But you have kids and all of a sudden you can't hang out with each other very much or anyone else. Things change. You have to keep initiating. You have to be intentional. Community will not just happen in your life. I've learned this. I've got two kids. The oldest is three. That's why I can't check the sleep box, give it a yes from the healthy survey of life living. And I just had to be like, wow, I'm just never going to hang out with anyone unless I specifically set up a time on the calendar where I'm going to get together with someone. And so I had to get so uncool and so unspontaneous and I had to email a couple people and say, hey, I never hang out with anyone, but I'd like to hang out with you. <laughs> and of course, what did I say? Let's go get fried chicken. That's the theme of all my sermons. That's what I do, and that's what we did, but I had to do that. You know, I think people think, uh, you, you look around and you think everybody around you has friends. You think they're all connected. It, we're in a community and there's a lot of people here today that don't feel connected at all. There's a lot of people who feel it's very warm here. A lot of people who feel like they're on the outside, too. If you're one of those people, there's probably someone, maybe the person you just talked to, who is feeling in a similar way. And life gets busier and busier. It gets harder and harder. But we all have to be intentional. We have to lean in. We have to put ourselves out there. Some of you, and I know this is a common thing, your friends moved, man. Maybe they're here for school or a job, and they got a different job. And you got to start over. I've preached this in sermons a million times. That sucks. Can I say sucks in a sermon? Is that okay? I could say something else. <laughs> you got to lean in. You got to start over sometimes. You might have had a whole crew of friends. You were in a small group together. 
You look around. They're all gone except one, and, now, and, and, and that person's married with kids, and maybe you don't have kids, and you're like, I can't hang out with them. You, you have to start over. It's so, I'm so sorry. And it doesn't feel good. There's a sense of loss there. Or you're new. You know, you got to make it. It, it, it. There's a mystical part to this that you can't make it happen, but you kind of got to make it happen. Does that make sense? All right. And the last thing, I think I found a better way to say this in your notes, but I forgot to update my sermon. But maybe this is it. Give up control. Oh, my gosh. Give up control. You know, one article I read when prepping for this and a lot of things along the way I've seen suggest that to avoid burnout or these lowest places in our lives, we have to be able to accept that we can't control everything and admit to ourselves that some things are beyond our reach. If you read uh, psychological journals, they'll tell you this. If you see what happens in the lives of the characters and the stories in the Bible, they often come to this point. Jesus on the cross was not in control. Although he chose it, it says in the Bible that he emptied himself of all his privileges as God. Jesus gave up control. To acknowledge this, though, is, you know, I was, I was having coffee with someone, I think, a week or so ago, um, who'd been through some of the most difficult things that I know of any of my friends, uh, and mentioned that one of the things was he was learning was that the word surrender is the scariest word in the English language and also the most freeing. There's not always a good answer. Why is Elijah out in the desert? God never tells him. He just asks him again and again, why are you out here? Thanks, God. That's what I'd like to know. Why am I in this place in my life? Why have these things happened to me? There's nothing here that says that Elijah ever gets a good answer. You know, some of you, it's, you know, burnout stinks, but sometimes these dark nights of the soul, I feel like can be connected to burnout, but can be even deeper. I don't know where Elijah fits in here. And we get like these stories that are condensed. Sometimes it just takes a long time. You don't know, if you're in it right now, you don't know how long it's going to feel like this. You don't know when the redemption or resurrection in your life is going to happen. And nobody can tell you. And there's something amazing and powerful and wonderful about surrender that on one hand, hand seems so unfair, but on the other hand is so freeing and life-giving. 